All right, so we're continuing our series on calling and courage. And as we talked about, the foundation of this series is really grounded upon two callings that each and every one of us share together. The first one is our general calling, and it's to be in right relationship with God because that's the foundation upon all of life. That's the foundation of our identity. That's the foundation where we truly get to see who we are and who created us. And from that primary foundation, as we deepen that relationship with God, what happens is what unfolds is our secondary or our second calling, our specific calling, which is why did God place me here on earth? It's what brings meaning to who you are, your personality, your experiences growing up, all the resources that you have around you, why you were born into the place that you were born into, why you are raised and why you are living where you are living. It makes sense of all of these things. It's our specific calling that's only found and can only be clarified in that first general uh, calling as we deepen our relationship with Christ and He begins to unravel and clarify and peel back all the layers so that we can really see what we've been put here on earth to do. We've also used Stephen Covey's quote, uh, to keep us focused during the series. You guys remember what that is? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I know this works usually better on uh, in-person services because you're not all muted and you don't have to press a button. But in our uh, in in-person services, I usually say the main thing and then I wait for people to respond. But right now, because all I see are black screens with your names on it, I, I will assume that you are saying in your own rooms, in your own, in your own way, that second part of that quote, all right? So the main thing, that's right, is to keep the main thing right on, the main thing. Good for you guys. Thanks for the emoji, Esther. I'm glad that you're still with me. It really does encourage me. <laughs> so this all sounds simple enough, right? But there is a reason why Stephen uh, Covey had to remind business people, companies, and even the greatest leaders to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's because we all have, without exception, we all have distractions in our life that can do what we think is unthinkable to take us away from the main thing. Now, don't get me wrong. This sermon is not about distractions becoming evil or distractions being the bane of our existence and distractions having no part of our life. No, no. we all know distractions are actually necessary and distractions also serve their purpose. You see, sometimes when we're working so hard on a certain project or maybe we're studying so hard a certain concept, but the thing is we get so locked into it and we're hour after hour as we're just so focused on that one aspect our minds and our hearts and our life, it just gets tired. We actually need distractions during that time. We need a distractive force. We need something to entertain us. We need something to take us away from that moment to refresh our minds for us to reset a little bit so that we can come back to the main thing and have a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh spirit to lead us back into doing what our main thing is. But the problem that happens with distractions is that when the distraction actually becomes the main thing, it, be, it preoccupies our mind 
and our thoughts. See, the danger with preoccupation is that the longer that distraction rests in our mind, in our heart, in our focal viewpoint, the more it becomes the main thing of our life. Let me give you guys a baseball illustration. Uh, my son just played baseball last night. That's why it's the freshest illustration that's on my mind. Um, as you're playing baseball, there's a pitcher, there's a batter. And when the pitcher is doing really well and none of the opposing team batters can really hit off the pitcher, the desire is do whatever it takes to get to first base. So be patient in the count, don't swing at everything, and hopefully you'll get to first base. And once they get to first base, the way to throw off a dominant pitcher, the way to get the pitcher to stop being so dominant against your team is to distract the pitcher with the base runner. So the person on first is there to pretend that they're gonna try to steal second. It's to move around a lot so that the pitcher's attention is taken off his main purpose, to pitch to the batter. And to redirect it towards a distraction who is the base runner, and to make the pitcher more focused on whether the base runner will steal second or not, rather than whether the pitcher is actually throwing proper strikes and balls to get the batter out. You see, this is the easiest way to throw off a pitcher from their game, is to not make the main thing the main thing for the pitcher, is to make the pitcher distracted into thinking more of the base runner than the pitcher is of what his or her main responsibility, main purpose is in the game, is to get the batter out, to throw strikes and balls. See, this is what Paul was referring to when we read this letter that he wrote to the Galatian church. Let me read it for us. If you have your Bibles, it's you can find it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 18. Galatians chapter 5, through 7 through 18. I'll read it for us. It reads this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led 
by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pause for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word. Father, I pray at this moment we will not be distracted by other things that are happening around us. We will not be distracted by things that, are, that we have to do and our responsibilities that are on our plate for the next uh, coming week. May we not be distracted by other things that are important and are urgent matters in our life right now. Help us, Father Lord, to keep you as our main focus so that whatever you have to say to us, we will hear it. And at important moments during your word to us, we will not miss it because we were distracted. I pray, may your spirit open up our hearts and our minds so that we may listen, hear, and be transformed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you see, look what Paul says in verse 7. He says, you were running such a good race. Who cut in front of you and kept you from obeying the truth? See, Paul did a great work as he went into uh, the place of Galatia and he met these people and they were walking after Christ. Uh, when he left them, they were doing so well in deepening the relationship with Christ, this new foundational understanding who God was, and they were following him and living in obedience to Jesus and seeing the unveiling work that Jesus was doing in their lives. But then something happened. Something distracted them and took them off of that focus and into focusing on other things. You see, the last time that Paul was with them, he, as they were focused on living this life in Christ, suddenly their eyes are shifted from this relationship with Christ to now laws, fulfilling certain laws, making sure, did you actually do this rite of circumcision, yes or no? That became the main thing for them. That became the most important thing for them because they were preoccupied with that distraction. Let me ask you guys the same question, just like the Galatians had. Do you guys remember the time when you are walking with the Lord, where things were going really well, and, and you remember that, wow, I never knew this is who God was. Can you remember that time, how excited you were, and that there was nothing more important than developing your relationship with God, because it was the first time you really discovered His love for you, the peace that He brought into your life, and just the vista of, of future and potential that He was unfolding for you. Do you remember that? Now slowly, do you remember what took you off track? What cut in front as you were walking that good walk? And then suddenly other things began to take up your preoccupation of your minds. And you began to follow those things. And then God became a distant second in your life. That's exactly what was happening with the Galatian church. And they didn't realize it. That's how dangerous distractions are. See, the first point that I want to make here is that it only takes a moment. Distractions, they only take a moment to get your eyes off the main thing and into something that is not the main thing and to throw you off track. Look at verse 9. Paul warns the Galatian church by saying, it only takes a little bit of yeast 
to work through the whole batch. And he warns us about this yeast or about these distractions that can come into our life. For those of you who are avid cooks, those of you who cook really well or self-proclaimed chefs, for some of you guys who are scientists and with that kind of background, we all know that yeast is a single-cell organism. And the way that this organism works is it begins to eat the sugars or the starch in, we'll just say, flour. As you're making dough and you put a little bit of yeast in it, the reason people put yeast in dough is to make it rise. The way that it rises is that the single-cell organism it works its way into the dough and it begins to eat and look for all the sugars and all the starch that's in the actual dough. As it finds it and it begins to eat it, just like any organism, there's the part where they metabolize, and after they metabolize it, it creates this excrete. It creates this, you know, this byproduct. And the byproduct is carbon dioxide. It's air, right? And so as carbon dioxide is formed, as we see in bread, it, the reason why dough rises is because pockets of air or carbon dioxide are forming as a byproduct of the yeast eating away the sugar and the starches that are in the dough. This is why we see it rise, and this is why when you cut bread, you can see little holes that are in the dough because that's where the pockets of carbon dioxide were. You see, it makes something that had some substance, it makes it look even bigger than what it was. It brings a lot of fluff. It brings a lot of air. It makes it a lot bigger and almost more important than what it actually is. This is why in God's law, God says, do not eat bread made without yeast. Now, he's not saying yeast is evil, right? And he's not saying that we can never eat bread without yeast. What he was saying to the Israelites at that time is he's just saying, I want you to be careful what you ingest. Because by, re, by learning, we should eat unleavened bread or bread made without yeast. It's this kind of reminder that was supposed to serve to the Israelite community. We cannot be distracted by things that puff us up, by things that look more important than what it is. Right? We cannot be distracted by those things and allow our lives to continually ingest that and thinking that it is actually good for us. See, God didn't want us to make us feel like our life is getting fuller by just air, by things that have little substance. This is why he says when you eat bread, eat bread made without yeast so that you can feel it filling your stomach. And it's not this false idea as you take the same loaf of bread that looks big, but it's all airy. It doesn't fill you as much. See, God, in that same way, is warning us about life. Sometimes distractions, they puff themselves up. It's like yeast that's inside of it, and there's so much in it that it looks more important. It looks more substantial than what it actually is. And he says, beware of yeast because it has a way of eating through and continuing and making things feel more important. And because it becomes more important, we become even more distracted because the more it eats away, the more distracted we are by it, the more bigger it actually grows. You see, for the base runner, once the base runner gets into the pitcher's head and the pitcher allows that yeast 
to become the main thing in the pitcher's thoughts. The fear and the anxiety of the base runner stealing a base preoccupies the person's mind. And as it preoccupies the person's mind and they think about that over and over, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and they think the most important thing in the game is actually to prevent the runner from getting to first to second. But that is not. The most important thing for the pitcher at that time is to throw a strike, to get the batter out, not to worry so much about the person on first base. Let the catcher and let the fielders worry about that person. But for the pitcher, they need to focus on pitching. See, this leads us then to our second point. And the second point is what happens when we allow yeast to take over? Well, we begin to put ourselves into greater exposure to certain things. And that exposure changes the orientation of our heart and our mind. See, we know that we're off track when we begin to expose ourselves more and invest more energy and time on the distraction rather than on the main thing that we're called to do. Look at verse 16. Paul says for us, so walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. In other words, Paul is saying the desires of our flesh are our distractions, that sometimes we're tired, sometimes we just need a break, sometimes we want to do other things, and he goes, that's okay, you can do that. But don't allow the desires of your flesh to become the main thing. And the way is, if we expose ourselves to that more and more, then we walk less and less by God's Spirit. You see, this is what was happening to the Galatian church. Because they began to focus more on how you are brought in into our community. And they said, well, there are certain laws. And part of the law or the part of the rituals that they had was circumcision. And they said, if you're not circumcised, you're not part of this community. But a lot of the people in that community were not Jewish. But the Jewish people kept insisting, no, you have to have this, or you're not really a Christian, or you're not really a follower of Christ. So circumcision became a mark of spiritual hierarchy, right? You're really spiritual if you undergo this. And that became that distraction that became the main thing. They puffed it up to a point where it was more important than what it actually was. See, this is the same thing in our own life as well. We can easily be distracted by other things in our life and make it more important because we expose ourselves to that more and more and we live in that more and more that becomes more important than the main thing in our life, which is to spend time with Christ. In fact, the more we expose ourselves to the other thing, to the distraction, do you know what happens? Here's the byproduct. The byproduct that comes out of exposure to the negative things or the, the distractions is that we gain a distaste for what is right. We begin to gain a distaste for what is right. Look at verse 11. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, 
why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. You see, Paul mentions to them, saying the most important part of our gospel is Jesus Christ who died for us so that we could have this unhindered relationship with God with nothing that stands in its way because Christ died for all and made that access available only through him. But the distraction that came in is that, yeah, but are you circumcised? Because circumcision really is the key, and that's what they made to be the main thing. And as they did that, the power of the cross or the thought, but, but Jesus did this for me. Yeah, well, you can say that to make yourself feel better, but we've all underwent circumcision, and this circumcision is really what puts you a class above everyone else. So then this understanding of what Christ did and the work that he did became less important. We began to develop, they began to develop a distaste, and they thought that circumcision was more important and something to be desired more than anything else. See, if we look in our own life, you'll notice the same thing. You know, whenever you hear other people say, hey, how's your relationship with Christ? Are you deepening it? Are you building it up? It's so easy for us to look at our distractions and feel like that's more important. Yeah, but Eddie, you got to know, my work environment right now, there's you know, a lot of movement that is happening, and I have an opportunity for a promotion, and I really need to do that. And because that becomes our main thing, we develop this kind of distaste or lack of importance for our time with God. We begin to think to ourselves, I don't need that so much as I need this. And we make excuses for it. See, brothers and sisters, we need to be very careful. Because before we know it, look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, we begin to follow our fleshly desires, which are, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, this is what happens. When we allow distractions to become our main thing is we get a distaste for what God is about. I love Carol's testimony where she's saying, I want to live my life in such a way where I can use it to share God's gospel with people of India that I've never met. You see, this shows exposure where she's exposing her heart to that despite her work and all the other responsibility that she has, she's saying, I'm using my work and I see the purpose of my work to do this. She's not discounting every other part of her life, but she's using it to see that this feeds in into that. And here's the final point. The final point that Paul brings out here is he says, this is about freedom, the freedom that Jesus has given us and how we use that freedom. Look at what he says in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
You know, as adults, all of us, we all have the right to manage our own time and do our own thing. We all have that right. But as Paul warned the Galatians, yeast can work through our lives very quickly without us even realizing and deceive even the most disciplined of persons. See, the main problem that distractions pose to us is in that moment, those distractions actually seem to become of utmost importance. It becomes a main thing in our life. And these distractions convince us that this must take precedence over every other thing that happens in our life. So this is why we begin to develop a natural rationale that this distraction is absolutely necessary for our life. This is where Paul says, this is where these kind of fleshly desires come in. And we see at first sight, when we read those fleshly desires and we go through that list, we feel like, I agree with Paul. I believe those things are wrong. But sometimes... The reason why we feel like that and we kind of side with Paul a little bit too quickly is because they're all given in one sentence. They're all lumped together and it seems so bad and it seems so evil that we feel like that possibly cannot be me. But that's not the point that Paul is trying to make. He's not saying that you represent all of these things. He's just trying to cover how these distractions can affect us all by giving an example that we can relate to in any one of those examples. So how do you know if this little bit of yeast has entered our soul? Well, we just need to ask the question and look at each one. Look at what he says. He lumps together sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery together. It's really easy for people to make any one of these a distraction in their life. The rationale behind it is very simple. It's, I'm so stressed lately, and I have this huge burden to carry that sexual immorality, impurity, things like pornography or lust or, or um, having multiple sexual partners and pursuing that. A lot of times, we just usually pass it off as, don't worry, it's not that important. It's a one-off thing that I'm actually doing. And the quick release that it provides me, um, it's an instantaneous distraction, but I'm not going to fall into it. And he goes, you have to be careful. Because as much as you say that and you develop that rationale, that that's the easiest or fastest way for you to relieve yourself of your burden and the stress that you're going through, he says, be careful because that yeast quickly puffs up and takes over your heart and your mind. It becomes your main thing. In fact, you begin to protect it rather than despise it. You begin to enjoy that space more than you actually do worship or following after God. Look at the next two that he mentions. He mentions idolatry and witchcraft. Most of us, when we look at this, well, we're not like that. We're not like old-fashioned and ancient that we have these shrines set up in our house and that we're kind of worshiping these kind of idols. And this. But that's not what Paul is mentioning. When he talks about idol, idols can be anything, anything that preoccupies our heart more than God. See, it doesn't have to be a shrine or an idol that we set up or carve out in our house. It can be desires that we have. For some of us, it can be like work. Work can become an idol. A certain position that we're after can be an idol. Uh, a certain project that we feel like we have to complete to make us feel good about ourselves can become an idol. 
It's like relationships. Relationships can be an idol. Our pursuit of health can be an idol. It can be famous people that we adore from afar. They can be an idol. It can be a certain music group that we follow. Those kind of things can become idols. And when can we tell when a distraction has become even more in our life? Just look, Paul says, at the emotions that are associated with that thing. In other words, what happens when someone tries to take away, whether it's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, any of those kind of things, anything that has to do with our sexual life that is not right, when someone tries to take away, do we experience these kind of emotions? Do we experience hatred for the other? Do we experience discord, a disagreement, a disconnection? Do we experience jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy? See, he's saying this is, this is the byproduct that is produced by the yeast in our life. We just have to look at how we see or view people that are trying to keep us from pursuing our fleshly desire? Are these the main central emotions that come up when someone tries to take away our work position, our, our, our project, or interfere with our relationships or our health, or tell us that you know this one music group that we're always listening to or these famous people that we are following online, whatever it may be, is the main thing that comes up, is it envy? Is it jealousy? Is it discord? Is it factions? Because if it is, Paul says, that distraction has become your main thing. You know, I remember a long time ago when I was serving a certain youth group. I walked in into the room, and there's a huge argument that was happening within um, uh, some of our youth members. And I was surprised because one of them were our leaders. And as they were like raising their voices, pointing their finger at each other, accusing one another, I just came in just shocked. And I said, whoa, whoa, what is going on? What are you guys so angry about? And it took me a while to separate them. And I took one of them and I took them out of the room and I sat them down and I just said, what's going on? What got you so riled up? What's so, what makes you like so angry? And you know what this person said? This person said, you know, I hate it that these guys are trying to explain or talk about this one worship, there's this famous worship leader, talk about this one famous worship leader as if they know them more than I do. In fact, I'm the one that discovered this person before they were a name. Before anyone else knew them, I knew them. So I know this person the best, but they keep saying, no, 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 they know all these facts and I keep telling them that they're wrong. That's not who he is and this is who he really is. And I was just looking at this person incredulous saying, Seriously? That's the argument? <laughs> That's why you're so angry? That's Why are you so angry about whether this person knows this person more than you do? They, that worship leader doesn't even know you, right? What's causing all this is because that distraction became the main focal point for this person where it puffed up. The byproduct was this carbon dioxide, made it look bigger than what it actually was. It made it his identity. 
It made it his pride. And the byproduct from that was envy, jealousy, discord, dissension. See, brothers and sisters, we need to be very careful about being distracted and allowing the distractions to not just take our minds off of what is right, but also to prevent it from separating our community. Look at what Paul says. What is the antidote then to this? Well, he, we mentioned it before, and we'll say it again. It comes from verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly with love. What Paul says is the very fact that you can choose your own desires. You can choose to walk towards Christ or not walk towards Christ is the very testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he broke the power of sin that you are no longer in bondage to sin anymore where all you think about is sin or rebelliousness or walking away from Christ. The fact that you have thoughts, that you want to do what is good, you know the difference between what is good and what is evil. Because you have that, that is fact and parcel that he says of the gospel that has set you free. You have this freedom now. And he says, use this freedom that you have been given not to pursue your flesh desires. He says, use it instead. He says, how? Serve one another in love. That is the antidote. You see, brothers and sisters, when we're looking for distractions in our life and things that get really heavy and, and things get really you know, hard and stuff like that, try to pursue serving others in love. What does that mean? Well, it can be the simplest stuff. So we'll just say we did a distraction from work rather than turning on Netflix and going right to that and just binging on show after show after show. Think about how can I use this moment to serve another person in love? You can have a great conversation with someone that you haven't talked to in a while to get your mind off of work and also to build someone else up. You can even just say, hey, let's watch a movie together, right? Or let's go out for a coffee. Let me get out of my house. Right? I know you're tired, and I know there's other things that are happening. Or some of you might say, say well, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling really lazy right now. Well, great. Find a partner. Go out. Have a jog together. He says, serve one another in love. You know, distractions, they can help us. But not when the distractions become our main thing. And Paul says, whenever you need a distraction... Ask yourself this one question first. Is at this moment, how can I use my freedom that I have right now to serve someone else that's around me in love rather than being self-serving, rather than pursuing your own thing? And I know at that moment, our flesh desire will just say, no, you deserve this. The rationale will come in, no, you need your own private space and your own private time. But usually those moments are times where we put ourselves at risk 
It feels like it's a heavier burden. It feels like we have to do something extra. But you don't have to go all the way. You don't have to make it extravagant and extraordinary. It can be a very one simple, small kind of thing that you can get something out of as well. It says find joy in serving one another in love. Find joy in finding that as your distraction rather than any other thing. Brothers and sisters, at this time, I want to lead us in communion. And as Paul reminds us, we have this freedom. And this freedom that we have, it's because of what Jesus did for us. He said on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. Jesus loved us so much that we could have freedom. Freedom to experience all the good things in our life. Freedom to enjoy what we're put here on earth to do in the security of our relationship with God. He gave us this freedom by his own life. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite us right now. Let's pray together and let's lay down all of our rationale, all of, all of our natural flesh instinct that tries to keep what we want to keep for ourselves, but we know that it is a distraction in our life. Let's repent of that together in Jesus' name. And let's pray, Father, help me to be free from those types of distractions that takes me away from you. Let's pray together. So brothers and sisters, at this time, Let's take the bread together, and as we do, let's remember this is part of the good news that God has given us so that we may be set free from all of these things. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of the covenant, and he said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for you. Take, drink, and remember me. Brothers and sisters, let's also remember that Christ poured out his blood for each and every one of us to represent his forgiveness, his healing, and his blessing. May we live in that together in the fluctuations of our life where there are moments where we need forgiveness and healing. And when we are, we need his blessing to move forward in grace. So let's remember that as we take the cup of the covenant together. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for every single precious daughter and son of yours that are here in this place. May you watch over them. May you bless them. May you bring into their minds any distraction that they're unaware of to name it as it is and to find there is freedom in Christ. There is more joy in pursuing you than there is in pursuing these other desires that are more important, that, that appear more important than they actually are. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.